Are you a college student looking for extra guidance on how to figure out your life after college? Maybe you need to spice up your resume, find the best way to answer difficult interview questions, or you just want to be in the right mindset for determining your career path. My best-selling career ebook guide is now available on the official podcast website at whatfulfillsyou.com where you can also find the recent merchandise drop of the What Fulfills You Daily Signature Notebook, which is my go-to vegan leather notebook for writing down gratitude, priorities, meeting notes, and so much more. You can find all of this on the official website at whatfulfillsyou.com. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. On today's episode, I am so excited to be bringing you a conversation with a great friend of mine, Natalie Barbu. And most of you guys probably know of her or at least have come across her YouTube content or know of her through her entrepreneurial journeys. But if you don't, then a little bit on her background, she went to NC State, which is in North Carolina, and she graduated in 2018, I believe. And now she is known as the co-founder of Rella, which is a multi-platform social media management tool that connects influencers and brands. And I know she's been really focused on growing that, so definitely check that one out. She's also the founder of We Bloom Social, which is a consulting slash marketing agency. And she is also, of course, known for her YouTube content, which she has been doing for over 10 years and recently celebrated her 10-year anniversary, which I think is so amazing because to be on a platform for 10 years, literally, I mean, just I'm thinking about where I was 10 years ago when I was in middle school. So um, that's definitely a long time and so many kudos to her. But what is really awesome about Natalie and why we get along so well is just our like-mindedness on our work ethic, our values and principles, and just what we believe is fundamental in our lives. And it's been really fun connecting with Natalie. We actually were hanging out in person when I was in Miami. I think this was back in May and in the springtime, I tend to go on a little Miami rendezvous. I think I was in Miami four times total since March and so definitely one of my favorite places and um, since I'm going back to the east coast full-time hint hint um, I'm sure I will be in Miami even more frequently then but a little bit of a fun tidbit on that Natalie shared this in our episode if you haven't heard it I was a guest on her show The Real Real which came out yesterday on Monday but what was really fun is that we went to Komodo in Miami, which is a very well-known restaurant and definitely known to have a lot of celebrities there. Um, and, but then we also popped over to Eleven, which is, I guess, technically kind of like a strip club, but it's not. I mean, if you have been in the Miami scene, then you know it's like 
not a full-blown strip club but more or less kind of is and it's a 24-7 nightclub it's definitely been you know very well known in Miami for many many years now way before I was like even a middle schooler to be honest and so that was really fun but to backtrack it to Komodo when we were there after we finished dinner there was this little bar in the restaurant and we saw you know just some fun good-looking people so we're like all right let's just hang out and like chat with some people and um, I remember initially we needed to go to the bathroom so we went to the bathroom first and when we went to the bathroom I remember seeing on the way over there I saw this guy with a bald head and I immediately freaking knew it was Kevin O'Leary and I was like Natalie and I was like freaking out and I was like yo that's him that's Kevin and I'm like freaking out Natalie's like okay okay calm down I'm just like look out of all people if there was Drake in this restaurant I don't even think I would fangirl that much mind you I love Drake's music but I was like I'm more of a I will fangirl you if you know for entrepreneurship or something of that nature and so Kevin is also I think from what I've heard known to be very kind and open to like chatting with his um with his fans or followers or whatever and so we hesitated initially for I think for like 10 or 15 minutes on whether we should go up and just say hi and you know whatever because let's be freaking honest I was telling Natalie this like I don't know how many girls in this restaurant would a approach Kevin O'Leary but secondly would even know who he is I mean or at least like off the bat like that right and um i follow kevin i love his business strategies i love his mentality around honesty and people might think especially if you watch shark tank um, mr wonderful people might think he's very harsh and not a nice guy um i actually think he is a quite nice guy but he does give a lot of brutal truth and honesty and that is what you have to take in business especially when you pitch to investors and and people of that nature and people are going to give you arguments as to why your business idea is not going to work and I think Kevin again has a lot of experience and so I admire him for that and so yeah but basically we decided after 15 minutes all right let's go and just like chat with him and say hey and again it's like two girls coming up to him I think it's just a different energy different vibe and I felt like he was gonna have you know was gonna be very receptive to that but by the time we came back to his table they had already left and I think he was with a group of six or eight people I don't know but it was a relatively big dinner group and whatever so I guess that was not meant to be but then we proceeded to go to live which is my favorite nightclub in Miami and typically my favorite especially because there's always house music there but the night that we went, it was not. It was also a Thursday night, not during a special week. Like usually during Miami Music Week, Thursday night is always Tiesto or Cascade or someone of that nature. And um, I think this Thursday night was just kind of someone random. So it was a very slow kind of empty night. And um, But funny enough, we were, we were looking at Kevin O'Leary's Instagram story and he had posted being in live. And so we're like, oh my God, he's here. Um, so yeah, we had a whirlwind of an experience it was very fun um and i can just say that natalie is such a fun person to be around and there's nothing better than connecting with people on social media or just in random scenarios where you don't think you're going to meet you know friends of that nature and to find out that you have similar values and similar perspectives on the world and to me i think that's just so awesome and as many of you know who listen to this podcast 
relationships are the most important to me in my life and to me that's where I find a lot of meaning and a lot of fulfillment because after all is said and done you know no matter how much you make no matter how much success you get what is the fun in that if you don't have anyone to celebrate with so I will leave the intro at that I hope you enjoy this conversation and let's just dive in Well, Natalie, thank you for joining me on my podcast today. So excited. I know we talked about it. Well, this was very much like we realized like we wanted to do a podcast swap for a while, but then Miami solidified that. We're like, all right, we're setting this up soon. (laughs) Yeah, I am so excited to be on your podcast. I love your podcast. I love like everything that you do. So I'm very excited to be a part of it. Yay. Thank you. Well, I want to dive into your background. I think it's funny. I think we mentioned this during Miami about elevator pitches. So how about you give me an elevator pitch of who you are? It can be longer than an elevator pitch, but like just your background, your like where you went to school, what you studied, all that. So we can kind of set the grounds of, you know, who you are before we dive into everything else. Yeah. So I'm Natalie. I am from North Carolina. Um, I've been doing YouTube since I was 15. So I actually just celebrated my 10 year anniversary on YouTube, which is just wild because I feel like I was doing it as such a hobby and like, so it's, it was so bad. Like if my first videos are still up, but they were just like recorded on a webcam. I didn't know what I was doing, but I just like loved putting myself on the internet for some reason. (laughs) And like having like a people to talk to online, even though like who knows who was watching, you know, I just loved that feeling and loved the community aspect of YouTube. So I started when I was 15 back when, you know, the word influencer was not even a thing. And then I kept doing it in high school, really, really small. Like it wasn't anything big, but I just had fun with it. And it was like my little secret. Like I didn't tell anyone in my high school. I was so embarrassed. People started finding out slowly, but I was still like, it was still really, really small. And then once I got to college, I actually went to NC State, which is in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I decided to still do YouTube, but I was like, I'm going to treat it as a business because I remember seeing people that like, I remember seeing like Claudia Saluski, Aspen Ovar, like Mm-hmm. Lauren Elizabeth like all of these YouTubers that I would watch I was like wait a second they're doing the same things that I'm doing but they're moving to LA and they're mm-hmm. not going to college and they're doing this as a job I'm like there's got to be money in this like there's got to be a lot of money mm-hmm. in this if they're doing that so I was like okay my four years here in college I'm going to continue doing YouTube as I you know I'm not going to have like to make like a, a job or anything like that I'm going to try to do YouTube like and try to make up a living off of it. You know, I never thought I could do it full time. Like I really never did. I was like, I'm never going to reach that level, but Mm. I want to still like treat it more like a business. So I started announcing that I was making YouTube. I started being more proud of it. I started having Mm. a schedule with it. So all throughout college, I did YouTube and then I was majoring at the time in industrial engineering. So that was what I got my degree in was industrial engineering in school. And it was really just because like my parents were industrial engineers. They kind of I don't want to say pressured me, but in a way pressured me to do engineering, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Like I like math. I'm like, okay, at science, like I'll do engineering, you know, that was kind of like my path. And I was like, at the end of the day, I want to own my own business. So it doesn't even matter what I really major in at first. You Mm -hmm. know, I was like, I'll learn all the skills I need with industrial engineering to run my own business, but like, it'll be kind of like a resume booster is what I thought in my head. So 
I was like, sure, I'll do that. But I still did YouTube the entire time. And then when I graduated college, I actually got a job at Accenture, which is a consulting firm. And I thought that I would really like it. I was like, oh my gosh, consulting seems so cool. Like you get to dabble in so many different industries. Like it's so glamorous. You travel, all of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I personally didn't really love it. I got stuck on a project that I didn't like. It was a local project. So I didn't travel, which now looking back, I'm like, was a blessing because like with YouTube, I could not have traveled and like done consulting and, you know, like I couldn't have done all of that. So I'm really glad it was a local project, but it wasn't one that I enjoyed. I didn't, I would see like what my bosses were doing or what my, like the people above me were doing. And I'm like, that's not what I ever want to do. Like, I never want to like follow their path. You know, that's not something that I am interested in growing towards. So like, what am I doing here? You know, cause usually when you're at like a job, you can kind of see like what your project, like what your path is going to be. You know, you go, you get right. promoted, then you do this, then you do that. And I was like, that's just not what I want to do. And I felt like there was so much gridlock within a corporation. Like I tried to transfer to the New York city office. I tried to transfer out of a, out of like the, I guess like the, I don't, group I was in, like I was in like technology and I wanted to go into like strategy. So I was like trying to do that. And like, there was just so much pushback and like, no, you have to be here for two years before like you even look to do that. And for me, kind of similar Mm -hmm. to what you were saying on my podcast, I was like, but like, why do I have to be here for two years? Like there was even a, a supervisor at Accenture, actually, he was like wanting me to be on his project. And he was like a managing director. So he was like super high up. And he was like, I really want you to be on this project. He went to like so many different people to try to get me on his project. And like, it was just denied because I wasn't there for like two years. It's like, to me that oh, that wow. type of stuff was just super annoying. I was like, this person with like authority and position, like can't even get me to transfer. Like, and I, I was just like, this is just, I don't like this like corporate feel. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I just mm-hmm. felt like a number. I felt like everything was just like, I don't know. There was too much gridlock kind of and too many like levels. And so I ended up really focusing on YouTube. I was like, I'm going to grow my YouTube channel. And at this point I was like, I'm going to do it full time. I was like, I need to quit. I want to quit. And I want to do YouTube full time because I want it to like support me while I try to do my own business one day, you know? So I was like, my mm-hmm. YouTube money will kind of supplement like all my the business ventures that I want to do so after nine months of working at Accenture I was able to quit and then I started a social media agency where I helped brands and influencers with like social media strategy so Mm -hmm. once I quit my job I was like I'm gonna start this agency I'm gonna consult with like influencers and different brands on like their social strategy and how to grow and so I did that for like a year and a half um and then it kind of morphed into Rella which is what I'm doing now which is a startup Mm -hmm. and it's actually a tech startup where I'm helping build or I'm trying to build a social media management platform where it's going to be like the only tool an influencer is going to need to manage their business and they'll also Mm -hmm. be able to monetize on it so that's what we're building now. And so it's everything I've kind of done has like gotten me to this point, but it's, it's funny. Cause it's like the social media agency just morphed into this. Cause it was like a pain point that I had. And I was like, I need mm-hmm. this tool, not only for like my client's life, but for like my life as an influencer. And I was like, yeah. wait, there's nothing out there that like suits my needs. Let me just build it. So I was like, let mm. me figure out how to do it. And so that's where I am now. That was definitely the longest elevator pitch that I've ever done. So (laughs) sorry about that, but that is a lot about me. (laughs) I love that. Well, okay. I'm curious. Do you consider yourself um, a rule breaker in a way? I noticed when you said like, because this would have frustrated me too, if you had to be there just 
two years just for the fact that you can jump on a certain project like that would have made me really upset because it's the same same question I had I mentioned earlier on your podcast is like well if it's more effective this way why do we have to do it this way right and Mm -hmm. so I think to some people it's like oh you want to just break rules um but how have you ever noticed that in your childhood or anything kind of um, similar patterns I did honestly I think for me it was more of like I don't I would have never considered it like rule breaking because I feel like I did follow rules, but it was more of like, how do I kind of get around and how do I like, <laughs> how do I maximize this or like how do you know, like I, I'd find like little loopholes, you know, like, yeah. like, for example, like, this sounds super bad. And I don't encourage people to do this. But in college, going to class, I was like, whenever I'm in class, I literally don't learn much because like the professor either like isn't teaching the style that I personally learned the best I'm just sitting here like on my computer like not even paying attention to the professor so Mm -hmm. I'm spending two hours of my day like in this class and attendance isn't even being taken and I'm not learning I could instead Mm -hmm. skip do all my work on my own and then kind of like just teach myself everything that's going on like watch the lesson online or like like Mm -hmm. read the chapters because that's all he's going over in the book so you know I would try to see like okay how do I go around but but like still doing it right and like not breaking the rule but just like going around Mm -hmm. a non-traditional way so like I would instead of going to class I would be like working on my YouTube channel and then like I would set aside time like the two hours that let's say it would took for the class but I would like teach myself it and it would be so much more efficient than like me sitting in a class for two hours, but not really paying attention and then still have to teach myself it after the class was over, you know? So for me, it's like, that's kind of the way I viewed life. I feel like it was like, okay, if I can do it my way and it's still going to be the same or better result, I'm just going to do that. It's not hurting anyone. It's not technically breaking the rules, but it just might not be like what people normally do, you know? So that's kind of like how I thought about it. Um, I would say like, that's one example, but I don't know. I don't, I I just always would try to find a way to like maximize it or like make it my way. That's like still efficient, I guess. So that, that I guess I would have considered if that's, if that's rule breaking, then yeah. Right. Okay. No, I find a lot of similarities just because again, same thing. It's like, you know, if you can still get a similar or even better end result by doing it your way, what's the issue with it? You know, but I think it's the whole idea of conforming to what you're told to do which I think you know I think it's just my that's where I have difficulty and is like if it's not actually the most effective and actually you can get a same or better result if by doing a different way what's the issue with it you know and it's like that's kind of always been as a kid I'm like oh like why not though right and I will say though as a kid something that my parents always said is that I was super persistent like I would try like if I wanted to do something and not in the like oh I want to do this like let me do it like not in like a bratty way but if I wanted Mm -hmm. to like for example I wanted to I really wanted a dog when I was younger like I really wanted a second dog I did an entire presentation I did like (laughs) a thing like about the breed the exact breed why this is the good breed for us like characteristics of it like testimonials of others that had it showed some cute pictures so that you know they're like oh cute I did like a schedule like I would walk (laughs) it this day this day this day at this time this is how much money I know that a dog is going to cost I can contribute also I was like 12 I like did not have money but I was like I can contribute my walking like and this is like the hourly rate that it would be like it was like an entire presentation of why we would need this dog and like I was just so 
convincing, I guess, and very just persistent in doing it. Like for example, I, when I was younger, actually I was 16 and it was, I had my YouTube channel and I remember I had this, um, styling business. This was my very first like business. And it was where I was like, wait, people always tell me that like, they like my style and people always would say, cause I would wear like very like weird things when I was little, but I guess it was like, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was like so fashionable, but it was just like <laughs> kind of out there. And people would always be like, oh, but I could never pull that off. Like, that's always something people would say. It's like, oh, I love that. But like, it could, ne- it would never look good on me. And I was always like, no, 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 it could. There's nothing different about me than you. It's just like the confidence behind it. You know, like you have to like mm-hmm. be confident in wearing it and like find your style. So I made a styling business where I was like, I'm going to be your personal shopper. You're going to give me money. So I would take a 20% mm-hmm. or not 20%, $20 pro- like payment. So you give me $20 mm-hmm. and then you give me your budget and I'll order everything for you and like outfits and send it to your house. So I was like stitch yeah. fix before <laughs> stitch fix was a thing, I guess. Oh <laughs> and my so gosh. I did that. And I remember I would like recruit my little sister's friends and they would pay me <laughs> to go to the mall with them to shop and they were like five years younger than me so they were like entering middle school and I was like their parents would literally pay me to like take them shopping and like find outfits that would be good for them so like I feel like I was just a very like persistent kid and like I remember seeing this so this book that I had when I was younger was like um a questionnaire book like oh your name your favorite color this is when I was in like second grade so I was like six seven years old the hobby mm-hmm. I said one of the things was your your favorite hobby and like you had to fill it out I said collecting money I'm like what gave me the right <laughs> that's that was, savage <laughs> I was like what did I have when I was like six or seven like a piggy bank but like I just like that was like my hobby when I was younger was collecting money like I always just like found ways to like I don't know like make a dollar I guess me too <laughs> Yeah, that's I'm laughing. I'm like, I think we have a lot of similarities going on. No, we're super, super similar. And I also think it's because like we both come from parents of immigrants. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of like culturally, like we do come from very different cultures, but I do mm-hmm. think an immigrant mentality is still like yes. that like hard work, like, you know, you have to, you know, earn every dollar, you know, those types of mentalities that they like instill from like the very, very young age. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I am laughing at your, okay. Well, first off the, how persistent you are as a kid. Like, I just think there's, that's, that's really funny how like you do that. And I think it parlays over into what you do today. Would you say so? Just like the same persistence. Definitely. I mean, I think with anything, like, especially now with Rella, with having a startup where we're fundraising, we're, you know, we, we're trying to get into these accelerators where, you know, convincing people to use our product or to sign up for our product. I feel like you have to be persistent and you have to be very Mm -hmm. convincing because if you aren't persistent and you don't believe in what you're doing, like no one else will, you know, like you have to be your biggest advocate and like, not only just like, oh, the product is amazing, but like, here's why I'm the one to tell you that it's good. Or here's when you're talking about, I guess, like investors, it's like, this is why I'm the right person to invest in. Cause a lot of times investors mm-hmm. are investing on in the person or the team. Yeah. They're not investing in the yeah. product even, you know, it's like, right. it's really about the team. So like, you have to be so persistent and like why you, this is a good idea. I mean, this over uh, two weekends ago, I think it was, I made this eight page document on explaining like, the industry, the influencer industry, why Rella is Mm. different, analyzing all of our competitors, what they're doing that like Rella is going to fix. Like I just got Uh really carried away. I thought it was going to be like three pages. 
eight pages of like research on the influencer industry and I am sending it out to everyone. So if anyone ever is like, oh, I don't know. I think the market is too saturated. I'm like, oh, Mm. well, take a look at this and like, maybe this will change your mind. (laughs) I really hate when no matter who it is, if it's an investor or potential customer or anyone that's like, they hear your idea and they say, isn't it really saturated? Like podcasting, for example, or like Instagram, I'm like you have no idea. Like I had this, con- I had that conversation the other day in New York with a Harvard alum who go- who's getting his MBA at Columbia. And he was just asking like, oh, isn't the podcast industry really saturated? I'm like, if you're maybe an MBA is good for you, buddy, because maybe maybe you'll learn to understand how you stick out in a market where apparently it's saturated. Because if if that's the case, then everything in this world is really saturated. Like if you really everything. think about it, oh yeah. everything. Or like innovation stops here. Like let's not innovate mm-hmm. anymore past 2021 because we have literally touched every single industry. Like I always kind of use the example of like music or restaurants. Like I always use the. Mu- example of restaurants actually I'm like okay Mm -hmm. there's so many restaurants in New York City you know there's so many and they're all so amazing and no one is ever going to say you know what New York doesn't need any more restaurants we're good like no I want to go to the newest brunch place I want to go to the place with the best happy hour I want to go to you know like no one's ever going to be like no 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 let's stop the restaurants like we're good here we've had enough I have my favorites whatever it's too saturated like no, I am always looking for something new and fresh. And, you yeah. know, you're never like gonna say that that's enough if it's something that you enjoy. Obviously, it's different in different industries. You can't compare everything to that. But I do think with saturation, mm-hmm. it's like the rest of the industries have to keep up. Like, you know, like you can come mm-hmm. in and disrupt it. You can come in and take customers away from someone else. You can come in and like mm-hmm. fix that void that's been there. You know, so I, I always think like, whenever people say the saturation thing for the influencer industry, it gets me so heated. Cause I'm also like, first of all, the influencer industry is so new. It's like what, five yeah. to 10 years old. And you're saying it's saturated mm-hmm. at this point. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> And that's funny when you talk about like with restaurants in New York, think about, I'm sure you knew this, like, um, what's that place called? Le, Le, Le Bain? Le Bain? Le yeah, Le Bain. I'm, I'm not saying it right. Le Bain. Okay. Yes. That place used to be a hotspot three years ago, three, four years ago. Like I went there for my 21st and nowadays like I heard people would joke and be like, who even shows up there anymore? Like people I mean, would jo- make throw out jokes for that. And it's funny because that used to be the New York hotspot or maybe even like you know, one Oak or, you know, tower, whatever, like just certain places in New York city where like, you know, four years later, people were kind of going down to like West village more and like, you know, different restaurants down there versus like up in like that meatpacking district, which again, used to be a super hot spot. Exactly. Exactly. There's always room for more. And like, if you are currently in the industry and you're not keeping up, like mm-hmm. you're gonna, you're gonna get kicked out, you know? So I, I always yeah. think like, you should always like, if you want to start something, just find a way to stick out and make it different. But like, don't be intimidated by your competition. Like use that honestly to like fuel you to like find a way to be better than them. Okay. Speaking of saturation, I'm sure you've gotten this question from a lot of people relating to YouTube. So YouTube is obviously very different today versus like five, 10 years ago, but I definitely want to ask you, cause I feel like you're someone who's insightful on this and you kind of analyze and look at the trends as well. Um, what would you say is like the difference today? Is it like worth pursuing today? Like, what would you tell someone if they were to step into YouTube today? Like, what should be their approach? What should be their expectations or lack thereof? I definitely think it's worth stepping into if you want to do YouTube. Like, if you have a desire mm-hmm. to do it, 100% do it. Do not let the fear of it being saturated let you 
out of it because again like we were saying there's always room for more and YouTube is actually pretty unique in the sense that it's not like if I watch you I'm gonna not watch her you know it's like yeah, yeah. you can watch both you know you can watch me, <laughs> you her him like whatever you know you can watch as many people as you want because you have that mm-hmm. option so I think that it's not as competitive it's let's say like a like a gym membership or something like it's like you're not mm-hmm. going to subscribe to like five different gyms you'll have to pick the best one but like YouTube is not like that YouTube you can watch multiple people so I think that one that is like such an advantage because it's a little bit less competitive I would say because you're mm-hmm. not competing for the same exact thing but another thing is nowadays like if you are yourself that alone is unique like if you mm-hmm. have something to bring like find something that's unique about you so And a lot of things people think like, oh, I have to be unique. I have to have this cool, amazing life. People on YouTube want relatability. They want authenticity. So what about Mm -hmm. you is something that's like a little different. Like a lot of people, for example, college students, I'm like, use like your major to an advantage, you know, like, oh, I'm a Mm -hmm. engineering major that whenever I would do videos, like week in my life as an engineering major, or like what it's like to be a female in engineering, those would get so many views. And to me, I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. the most boring part about myself is like, yeah. what I do in college but people like that because it was relatable and it's like you don't see that out there like honestly what you do mm-hmm. see a lot of is look at my amazing life and like people are tired of that so if you're like oh well like mm-hmm. this is my life like as a nanny you know and like you yeah videos about that like that will do really really well because it's something that not a lot of people have but people are curious mm-hmm. about or like even if a lot of people have it, they're not filming videos about it and posting it online. So I think just finding what makes you different, even if it's not glamorous and like capitalizing on that on YouTube is something that goes such Mm -hmm. a long way and just providing content that people want to see, like providing value, I always say. So like, yeah, be engaging and get people to know you, but like always ask yourself, like, what is the value I'm providing? Like if you're just going to kind of do what everyone else is doing, you probably won't Mm -hmm. grow. But if you're providing some sort of, you know, entertainment relief, you're providing some sort of value by answering people's questions on a certain topic, you're giving an Mm -hmm. insight into the life of whatever that is providing value. So like always make sure that you're doing that, especially when you are starting out. Um, And then also I recommend like experimenting with other platforms too, you know, like TikTok is huge. So maybe do both at the same Mm time, see what does well because maybe as one takes off the other one then will take off because people are watching you on that Mm -hmm. other platform so I always recommend like trying different things out at the same time because if they grow together then that's the best because if one grows and the other one grows and like you're both of them can grow and like it's just a recipe for success rather than like trying one trying that okay stopping trying something else like I kind of recommend doing a few things at the same time in social media Mm -hmm. and seeing like what picks up first and what you enjoy also. Right. Um, when it comes to filming and editing, especially if you're a beginner, how much do you think that plays into the impact on someone growing on YouTube? Like, do you have any advice for someone like learning or like, you know, not being too picky about how they edit? Because I think even for me, I feel like that probably, if anything, is the only thing that stops me from like posting more frequently. Like I'll get a lot of DMs like you should like post more YouTube stuff and like post more like, you know, of your life because, you know, you see a lot of it on Instagram, but definitely like you're not seeing long form videos. And I'm like, yeah, I want to do it, but like took so long to edit and just like the filming. So I'm kind of curious to hear, and I'm sure others would be curious too. Like, what are your thoughts on like just editing style and how much it actually plays a role into whether people like your videos? 
Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing is to post, even if you don't love it. Like I think that okay. being a perfectionist is actually kind of harmful <laughs> with YouTube because yeah. then you don't post, you know, you're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. just not perfect. Like it, it's not as good as so-and-so. And I always say like, yeah. don't compare your first video to someone's hundredth video. Like you can't mm-hmm. compare the two, but even if it's not your first video, even if it's your hundredth video, you don't want to compare it because it's still like, you just need to put content out there. I feel like a lot of times I'll watch videos. They're so barely edited. They're minimally, minimally done. Like you can tell that they kind of threw it together and uploaded it. And I still enjoy it because I enjoy who I'm watching. So I think it right. depends on obviously the type of content you're doing. Like if you're making like some cinematic film, yeah, spend time on the editing. But I also think you're mm-hmm. never going to get better until you post. Like you can't yeah. just do it and not post and hope to get better. You have to post it, see what people are saying, you know, actually feel like, okay, you put something out into the world and then you can improve because you will never get better by just like waiting on it. Or like you can take classes, you can learn as you go. But I think that type of stuff you should do as you are uploading, you know? So like Mm -hmm. if you look at anyone's first video compared to their hundredth, compared to their 500th, they're going to look so different because they're Mm -hmm. evolving as they're going. So I think just upload post and then as you go you'll find your style you'll find what you like you'll find what you don't like but it doesn't have to be perfect when you upload it and honestly probably never will be perfect when you upload it yeah (laughs) what about time frame like do you think there is a recommended time um you know like video length that you think would be ideal for anyone starting out I always say over 10 minutes. So nowadays you can actually do eight minutes and get multiple ads on your videos. A few months ago, Mm -hmm. it was, you had to have 10 minutes. You have to have a 10 minute video to get multiple ads. So now they have changed Mm -hmm. it. So you can say over eight minutes long, but I would always Mm -hmm. do over the eight minute mark or 10 minute mark, because if you have multiple ads in your video, YouTube is going to promote your stuff more because you're getting paid more. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're driving more revenue to YouTube. So you Mm -hmm. always have to think about it in the way of like, what's going to make YouTube a lot of money. So like Mm -hmm. you're thinking about your content, for example, finance videos make YouTube a lot of money because the CPM for that video or the RPM, which is like the rate that you're making is so much higher for those videos. That's why I think Mm -hmm. that those videos of mine do better because YouTube algorithm is probably like, this is going to get us paid more. (laughs) Let me Mm -hmm. push this one out. So I always think like, what is going to make YouTube more money? Longer videos. So anywhere from like 10 to 20 minutes or even longer um, and like multiple ads and videos with like high RPM or high CPM. So always think about it in the way that like YouTube is a business. So why Mm -hmm. would they promote your, why would they promote your channel? Only if you're making the money. So, you know, that's kind of how I like to think about it. But over 10 minutes is always like my rule of thumb. For ad revenue or things like that. um, Is is it usually a minimum amount of subscribers or is it based on the amount of views you have gotten for that video? Both. So for ad revenue, you have, in order to even start getting paid, you have to have a thousand subscribers and you have to have 4,000 watch time hours in a year. So within 12 months, you have to have 4,000 hours. Once you do that, then your ad revenue is based on like how many people are watching that specific video. So that's why subscriber Mm -hmm. count doesn't really matter because it matters more of like how many views you're getting, not how many people Mm -hmm. are subscribed to you. 
Right. Okay. That's a good thing for me to know. I have like this random uh, apartment tour video from when I lived in Orange County and I think it has over like 45,000 views and I only have like 500 subscribers though, obviously, because I just never post, but I've always been curious, like, oh, I wonder like, how would I make money on that video? Because I get a lot of views like still on that one. Everyone freaking loves apartment tours, uh, especially our demographic. But I was like thinking about that. I was like, oh, I should just ask. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, post an apartment tour whenever you leave of this like LA apartment you know try from here to now I know we talked about deadlines so set a deadline and be like (laughs) this is when I'm gonna hit a thousand subscribers and I'm gonna post once a week and have a calendar of the type of videos you're gonna post you know like yeah just structure it out because I think YouTube like anything else is like a business where you have to be organized and structured and like if you do it on a whim it probably won't be successful you know like you really have to plan it out Right. I totally agree. Okay, cool. Let's dive into like a little bit of your career background. So I saw this on your story the other day, you had mentioned like past jobs you had prior to your nine to five and all that. Um, But we'd love to have you share that too, just so people can kind of see everything, you know, you had growing up, because I think it plays a big role. And so many people are like, oh, it must be nice. Like you work for yourself. You only had one nine to five. Like I've gone that even. And I'm like, you don't understand. I've like, I worked at Abercrombie when I was like 18, you know? So like, I do have a history of working and and seeing, you know, the ins and outs of it, but um, we'd love for you to share that. And we can just dive into the impact it has had on your career path. Yeah. So I have had a job since I was 16 and, you know, starting from my hobby of collecting money, the second I was able to get a job, (laughs) I was like, I am getting a job. Like my parents even were, I mean, and I know most people don't have this, but my parents were like, you know, you don't need a job in high school. You can focus on school. Like, you know, you don't need to work. But I was like, no, 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 no. I need to work. Like I want money. I want to buy my own things. I want to have like freedom. So for me, Mm -hmm. I, it was like, my parents were honestly more telling me like, don't get a job. And I was like, no, 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 I'm getting a job. So I first worked at Chick-fil-A, which is so funny, but (laughs) I worked at Chick-fil-A for four months. I absolutely hated it. It was the worst job just because I didn't like the food industry, nothing against like the way that like (laughs) I was treated or anything like that. It was solely because like, I was like, the food industry is just not for me. I felt like Mm -hmm. I just didn't like it that much. And I was, I was young as my first thing. So after four months, I ended up quitting. And then immediately after I got a job at American Eagle and I actually loved that job. So I was very into fashion, like I said. And for me, I, I like loved being around like fashion and giving people like advice on like what to wear. Like if they were like coming out of the fitting room, like wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. be like, oh, does this look good? Or like, what can I pair this with? Like, I just love doing all of that. And so for me, American Eagle was such a great job. Um, I ended up the the discount was amazing on that. It was like 70% <laughs> off new items. I was like, literally all my paycheck like went to back to American Eagle. But <laughs> after that, I ended up working at Autobell, which is like a local car wash here in like North Carolina. I think they have it in like Virginia and South Carolina, but it was just some local car wash here. And all my friends worked there. Like it was literally my entire friend group like we ran autoval essentially which is so (laughs) funny but I didn't want to physically like wash the cars so I was like a cashier girl and we would get commission though so that's kind of like I have a little bit of sales in me because I remember (laughs) always like if you sold like the most expensive car wash which I'm like forgetting the name of it now but you would get like a really big commission and so I would always Mm. like be like hi how are you like would you like to try this like it has well you know and I'd always try selling it and be like Mm. oh are you sure like you don't want to add this to it or like oh do you want to add like a fragrance it smells so good you know like I would always try to like upsell (laughs) so that I could make my commission and I remember one week I remember getting like 
$450 was like my highest paycheck, I would say, because I didn't work that many hours, but I was mm-hmm. making $450 in one week. You got paid every single week, which I also thought was mm-hmm. really nice. But I was like, this is the most money that I have ever made. Like in high school, I was working yeah. like 15 hours a week, 10 hours a week. Like I wasn't working mm-hmm. that many hours and yeah. I got paid so much money. I was like, this is the best job ever. So I worked there until college graduated college or went to college in college. I babysat a little bit because again, I was like, okay, I, I still want to, I don't want a full-time job because I was like really focused on YouTube, but I want something that's mm-hmm. like a little flexible. Like I could do some work on YouTube yeah. like while I'm babysitting the kids or whatever. So I did babysitting and I'm just like not good with kids. Like I <laughs> don't know how to talk to them. Like, I'm like, uh, like, I don't know. I'm just like not good with kids at all. So I ended up not really loving that. I babysat for one family for like a whole year. Like I did a few times a week with them. And even though I mm-hmm. like their, I like their kids, I'm just like not a kid's person. I want kids of my yeah. own. Like I'm, I'm excited to be a mom one day and like all of that, but like other people's kids, I'm just not interested in. So didn't really love mm-hmm. that. Then, <laughs> then I ended up actually getting an internship at Ralph Lauren for the summer. So I was like, how can I mm-hmm. figure out a way to do like engineering with fashion? Cause I was, I was like obsessed with fashion. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want to do something with like engineering and fashion. And I saw this like Ralph Lauren internship open up. And so I applied to that and I ended up getting it and it didn't really mix fashion at all into it. Cause it was like an operations mm-hmm. intern. So I was at the oh. warehouse, you know, I was doing things on like Excel and like it was, I really hated it. Like I was like, this is, mm-hmm. I don't want to work in a warehouse. I never want to work in a distribution center. I never want to do anything with supply chain. Like this is not for me, but it was a good summer internship. I met a lot of cool people and like, I loved everyone that I worked with. I just didn't like what I was doing. So once that summer internship was done, I was like, okay, I have an internship on my resume. I'm going to spend the next two summers working on YouTube. Cause I had, I had junior year summer and then like right after senior year summer left. So from then on, I worked at YouTube or worked on YouTube. And then every summer that I was home, I would just work at like a local boutique. So I would look work in mm-hmm. this like local fashion boutique. And like, I loved it again, because I really did like working in retail. Um, and so then I did that. And then once I graduated college, I ended up working for Accenture. Um, I moved to LA for like three months, tried to do YouTube there in LA, like tried to grow, didn't really help. And I realized I didn't really like LA. And then yeah. once I got back home, I started my job at Accenture. So that was like the nine to five that I had, but yeah, I'd had so many (laughs) random jobs throughout my years, (laughs) but I like, I really am so grateful for all of them. Yeah. And me too. And that's the same thing. That's why I ask is like so many people don't realize like we, and I had a similar mindset to my parents, um, especially with my culture is like, focus on school, like focus on education and all that. And so, you know, they didn't really want me working either, but I insisted on like working. I remember like in college, I went to apply at Target and Starbucks. I think both places I actually didn't get a job at. Fun fact, like I, did, I just didn't get accepted. I think at Starbucks because I was like a brat. And I think they asked like in the interview um, portal, they're like, oh, like, would you be willing to like clean the bathrooms or something? I think I said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just- so funny. Yeah. So, but, but I did work out in retail, worked at Abercrombie. I worked at a vineyard vines for a little bit. So, you know, I had all that, but um, I'm curious for you with those jobs, like, how do you see it impacting your current career today? And I guess like, just like giving your insight, maybe to like younger girls that listen to this podcast, like how can they view their current job, even if it's not something that pretty and fun and maybe something you don't really enjoy either, but like, how would you look at it today being like, without that job, I don't, 
think I'd know these things today. Well, I think for me with every single job that I've had, it's like without that, I wouldn't know what I like and what I don't like. I think every single mm-hmm. job was like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. Like for um, f- the food industry, like Chick-fil-A, I realized I did not like the food industry, have not stepped foot into the food industry since then, you know, that mm-hmm. hated that with Autobell, not that I like love car washes, but I loved the commission structure. Like I liked like working and like seeing a reward for like the hard work that you put in, you know, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. If I work a little harder, I'm not just going to get my hourly wage. I'm going to get like a commission. So, you know, yeah. I think it instilled that in me and like the sales part of it, like it instilled in me. Then you look at like retail and like, I've always loved fashion, but I think with that, I've worked at like American Eagle, which is a big company. And then I've also worked at a local boutique, which is small where I've worked so closely with the owner and like I saw how she, you know, how she shipped out items. I saw how she like mm. would, um, you know, make the store look nice. I saw how she would interact with customers. I saw how she would do the yeah. social media. You know, I, I got to really see like how she ran her entire business and things that I like liked about it and things that I didn't like about it. And like, so I, with Accenture, I think corporate world can teach you so much, even if it's not directly mm. applicable, the way you communicate yeah. with others, the way you communicate with your manager, with your boss, the way that you want to lead a team, the way that you handle mm-hmm. responsibility, the way that you delegate your time, or I mean, spend your time and manage your time and delegate work. Like all of that is such so important whenever you're running your own business. So I think, yeah, without that, like, like you're still going to make mistakes, even though I know all of those things and I've seen all of those, mm-hmm. but I think it just helps you really understand the way things are run and the way that you want to run your business in the future, because you see so many different working styles and so many different structures. So I really think a lot of it is just those like soft skills that you learn that are so, so, mm-hmm. so invaluable. Mm. What about advice for those that are in more conventional careers? Like, let's say for those, you know, as we know, not everyone's going to end up in entrepreneurship and it's definitely not for everyone either, but how can, like, what would be your advice for young girls? Like, how can they stand out and be more competitive in the job force and and in the work field, whether they're applying right now, they recently graduated getting internships, like what are, what are your top three tips for just standing out and really getting, you know, into a career field that you want? Well, number one, I think you have to be different. Like, I think you cannot just be like, hit apply, hope to get it. Okay, hope I Mm. hear from you soon. Maybe with like big companies that they're hiring like 10,000 people at a time or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, even for Accenture, I networked so much to get that job. And I don't think that if I didn't network, I would have gotten it. So I had applied like through my school. My school had like a online portal where you could apply if like people were were recruiting from like your specific college so I applied Mm -hmm. on there I went to the career fair like the next day or the next week I made sure to speak to people at the career fair and like actually have conversations with them not just hi I applied I'm Natalie like I was like I wanted to get Mm -hmm. to know them so that they would remember me you know how many people are telling them hey I applied here's my face like that's not memorable but I was like asking about where they went to school asking about their life asking about you know like actually having a conversation with them. Then I like emailed them the next day. I was like, Oh, it's so nice to Mm -hmm. meet you. I'm Natalie. I was the one who blah, 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 whatever Mm -hmm. I said or did to like make them remember me. And then I saw that they were having a networking event at some like Mexican restaurant near my school. So I was like, Oh, I would love to attend this. Like, let me know how to sign up. Okay. Got the invite to go to that. Would Would network with like every single person that worked there would have conversations then emailed them again. Oh, I'm looking forward to the interview, whatever, you know, like after Mm -hmm. the interview interviewed, uh, sent a thank you to whoever, um, one, not only the recruiter that did it, but even like the 
person that interviewed me, they had mm-hmm. people that were interviewing us from like all over the country, like all over, like people mm-hmm. that my guy was like from Colorado. I didn't know yeah. his full name. I only knew his first name. I looked on LinkedIn. I <laughs> did the filters <laughs> of like Colorado <laughs> first name. I was, I was looking yeah. through all the photos. Cause there were so many, it was like a very common name. So I was like yeah. looking through all the photos to see like who it was found his last name found like the way that Accenture like does their emails emailed him you know like those types of things I think that if I don't I don't think I would have gotten the job if I didn't like put myself out there like that but even with like a small business like right now with Rella we are so 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 small and like we're Mm -hmm. not really hiring or anything like that but like there was this one girl who recently messaged me she was like hey like listen I'm a I'm XYZ like told me all about herself told me why she Mm -hmm. would be like a good fit for Rella I wasn't mm-hmm. like, I wasn't hiring at all. So I, at first I even ignored it. Like I feel mm-hmm. kind of bad sometimes doing that. Cause like I'll get so many mm-hmm. DMs. So like I didn't respond to it. She DM me again and again. And it was like three DMs later that I was like, wait a second. I actually need someone like this. And so we yes. set up a call and now we're going to start working together. So it's like, be persistent. It's not annoying. Like it's really not annoying. Like it's so not, I, it, yeah. it takes one second out of my day to like read a message and ignore it. If I do choose to ignore it, it's really not that annoying. Mm-hmm. So read a message. And also I should be better at like actually responding and being like, I'm not interested. <laughs> but still, right. I, I didn't want to say that because I was like, it's not that like I'm not interested. It's just like there's nothing for her right now. But after like the third email, I was like, oh my God, I I actually need someone like this. And I responded, we set up a yeah. call, we're doing work together. It's like that is what gets you a job, you know, being persistent, being memorable, doing something different. Do not just hit apply and like hope that everything works out. It's Mm -hmm. there's millions of people doing that. You have to find a way to stand out because at the end of the day, the people hiring you are human. They are going to base it off of people that they know of people that they remember. Mm -hmm. Like I actually just made my first LinkedIn job posting. I posted a job on LinkedIn to like try to recruit people. I did not hire one person from it because none of them, (laughs) I was like, I don't want to sift through all these applications. Like nothing was standing out to me. Everything was so like, none of the experience was like that relevant, but this girl that slides into my DMS, I'm like, Oh my God, perfect. You know? So I think that it's just like standing out like that because you have to remember like this, it's people deciding this. So like, how do you relate to other people? Exactly. And you gave so many good nuggets there. I would say that same advice for like, for me, when I go prospecting for clients for my agency, or even for like, you know, getting brand collaborations, like whatever it is, like, it's the same concept is like, you follow up all the time. And even the third or fourth time, they're going to be like, Oh, like that has happened to me even too, for like prospecting. And when I followed up like four times or even getting, you know, wholesale partnerships and getting into stores for my business, I followed up six, seven, eight times. And I showed up in person, like I did what it takes. And that's what they remember. And even for me, like, my um, interns or like people that have applied, like I noticed more when they took effort and they made like a really, you know, thoughtful message versus like just sending me something really basic because you can see the difference. So I would say that's huge, you know, to take a tip on, but really random too. When you said um, how you were looking through LinkedIn for the guy, I have to say like, that's a great way to find a guy. If you're like talking to him, you don't know his last name. I've done that before where I was, oh. <laughs> fun fact here. I would look up a guy. I like, <laughs> this is recent too. I looked up a guy who he's not listening I don't think he's gonna listen to this but like would look up his first name I knew what school he went to you know obviously know what age he was I knew what year he graduated I knew what like industry he's in knew he's in New York and I easily found him right away but um I swear he and other people have done that to me too because I would get like 
so many views and like would find out that they found my Instagram. And I'm like, the only way you found my Instagram is because you know this information and you found me on LinkedIn and you led to my blog or whatever and you found my Instagram. So just fun fact for those who are like, I want to find look up this guy and see if he's legit and all that. That's a great way to source it. Like literally narrow it down. LinkedIn stalking is superior to any other form because of the filters. And because people actually update their LinkedIn. People don't update their Facebook on like what job they have or yep. like what city yep. they're living in, but people update their LinkedIn. <laughs> Yeah, no, legit. I even like found a, a good friend to like a guy friend. I was just curious like what his LinkedIn looked like. And he lives in Austria. And I found it like simply just because of his first name and photo. And I was like, yeah, sounds like crazy stalking, but I know people have it done works. worse. So, but <laughs> <laughs> it does work. Um, okay, I want to dive into personal finance. I feel like this is something you're very insightful and very good at with your structure. What are your top three tips for young women in their 20s uh, to be doing while they're in college as well as, you know, in post-grad life? And I, again, I think this is something so many people struggle with is like how much to save on a paycheck, you know, like how much to keep in a savings account, how much to, you know, put into like a new investment, right? Like some people are just like, that freaks them out. And I totally understand why, but I think it's something you and I actually low-key love internally, like personal finance. So what are your top three tips for young women? I would say number one, have a budget. I wish I had one in college. I started one when I graduated and big mistake because I know that I could have saved so much more money. It's just so nice to be able to see where all your money is going because even if you think that you know, you don't know until you actually have a budget. And I personally like a manual budget. So I literally go on Excel and I write out every single transaction because that way yeah. when you are inputting a $200 whatever and you're like oh my god I spent $200 on that you know it's like it makes you feel guilty so <laughs> no, no but I it, agree the manual thing is good so much better than like mint or anything like that like I don't yeah. use any like iPhone budgets or anything like that so Mm-hmm. have a budget. So you see where your money is going, then set up a yep. savings goal. So how much money do you want to save? Like, are you looking to save like maybe like two months, three months of like living expenses just in case something happens? So I would have a goal or are you looking to like pay off your student loan debt? How much, mm-hmm. you know, if you start adding, like paying this much money a month, like when will you be done paying it off? You know, so mm-hmm. looking to see what your goal is and working backwards of like, okay, how, what do I need to do to save that and start like living right. within those means? So let's say you're making $3,000 a month and you want to save $200 a month, let's say, then live as if you are only making $2,800 a month, you know, like take it very, right. very seriously. Don't be like, oh, I hope at the end of the month, I have $200 left over. Like take that out in the beginning if you have to. So mm-hmm. that's what, definitely the second thing that I would recommend. And then also I would say something again, that I regret that I didn't do that. I wish I did is to be more informed about like um, investment options. So I did not really start learning even about investing until after college. Like I was not even interested in college. So Mm -hmm. I would read some books. There's one book, I think it's called just investing. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, who is it? It's a, a famous invest. I don't, I don't know who exactly she's like the daughter of some like famous investor, but it's such an easy to read book and it explains the stock market and investing in like stocks and funds and dividends and all of that. Like it explains it so well, especially coming from like a female perspective as well. I don't know. I know that doesn't really matter, but 
I personally really enjoyed reading that. Um, so I would start like reading books about it, getting informed, listening to podcasts. Like I love listening to like mm-hmm. Robin Hood snacks. I know it's not mm-hmm. like, it's not like really about investing, but it just informs you of what's going on with these like publicly traded companies and how it affects their yep. stocks. And like, I like listening to Ask Farnoosh. She's a podcaster, a, mm. a personal finance podcaster, you know, like just start getting informed because I didn't know so much and I felt like I had to play catch up when I was, when I graduated, I was like, I don't even know. Like, honestly, I, I feel like I didn't even really know what like a 401k was until I like started working at Accenture and I was like, wait, how much do mm-hmm. I contribute to this? Like, what is this? So just right. start being informed before you like have to play catch up, I guess. So I would like start listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and reading books that will really inform you because then you'll actually get excited about investing, excited about saving. And it's just going to be a better mindset. Cause I think a lot to do like money is really like a mindset. I think like it's your saving mm-hmm. habits are, they really do reflect like your I like attitude towards money and your like, mm-hmm. I guess like emotion towards money. So you're feeling about money. So I think that like learning is a huge thing that I would recommend. Yeah. I definitely agree that it's important to know while you're still in college. Like I think that was something for me. It was just like, I want to be as independent as possible after college. And in order to get there, I have to learn on my own. And so I think it's important that we continue to encourage young women that it's a fun thing. It's a good thing to know. Cause I think that it tends to scare them off. It's just like, Oh, it's like too stressful. Like I'll worry about it when I'm like 25. And I like, that's the thing. It's like, that's like two to three years where you actually, you know, if, if you had a 401k from your employer, like you could have contributed into that. Um, right. Or if you didn't, like you could open up like a Roth IRA and like, you know, know the difference between like the pre and post tax. Right. And like how it comes out into play when you're like 55 and 60. So I think those are definitely very good tips. Um, okay. I do want to dive into a little bit of personal life before we finish things off. An interesting question I think would be fun to know is how do you balance a serious relationship with someone, um, you know, with the amount of work you do and then also being long distance? Yeah. So that's a really good question. No, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like being long distance actually makes it easier because you aren't like together all the time. So you have that time when you're like, okay, I'm just working and, you know, I don't have to worry about like hanging out with you at night or like spending time with you. And I know it sounds kind of bad, but I do think that it makes you more independent and it makes you like get your work done so much quicker than when you're together. However, when you are together, then it's hard to get your work done that week. Cause you're like, Oh my God, we never right. see each other. Like we have to do everything together. So obviously there's like pros and cons, but I do think long distance has helped me personally be more independent and like figure Mm -hmm. out how to still do work while like maintaining a serious relationship. But I also think Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that independence is such an important thing when you are in a serious relationship and you're also trying to, you know, grow your own like career or grow your own life as well. Because if Mm -hmm. you have to be able to do your own thing without that other person, because you have to focus on yourself. So I think two independent people that come together in a relationship is the absolute best case scenario, which I think Keon and I do really, really well. Like, and it's also, you have to have two supportive people. If one person is jealous, if one person is like mad that you're spending time on your career, if one person is Mm -hmm. mad that, you know, you aren't giving 24 hours a day to them, if they don't understand that you have to like do what's best for you at times, it's Mm -hmm. just going to work out, I feel like. So you have to be very, very trusting and also very supportive with the other person because like 
they have to understand your schedule and you have to understand theirs, but then also like wanting to celebrate those like wins with people or wanting someone to like vent to and wanting someone, you know, I think that's where like you come together in it. You know, it's like, oh my God, I just had such a long day, but like, I can't wait to talk to you at the end of the day. You know, it's like, that's, I think the healthiest way to go about it rather than being like, oh my God, I have to text you every second of the day. And I can't, we can't stop talking and we can't be apart because like, uh, what are you doing? Cause if you don't text me back in two hours and I don't know what you're doing, like, that's just like not healthy. So you have to yeah. have like independence, trust and support, I would say. And that's mm-hmm. what has worked for like me and Keon. And like with long distance, that is also true. Like you have to be independent, you have to have trust. And then you have to have communication skills. I think like with long distance, mm-hmm. especially because if you don't have trust or communication, then like you are going to have a horrible relationship. I feel like, because obviously like if you're long distance, they can be doing whatever they want and like, you would never know. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust them and they have to trust you. And then you also have to communicate, you know, because you don't have all of the like love languages that are out there. The only one you have is words of affirmation because that's the only (laughs) thing you can do. Like there's no physical touch. There's no acts of service. There's no gifts. There's no quality time. There's no, you know, like there's none of that. It's literally all your words. So like you have to be so good at communicating when you're in a long distance relationship. So we always Mm -hmm. FaceTime throughout the day. And then like every single night, you know, we'll FaceTime like at night for a long time, like update each other. And it's just, it's really nice. So that's, I guess the key to having like a successful long distance relationship when you're also like trying to build your own career and like your own life too. (laughs) Right. How long have you guys been dating? Was it like two, three years? Almost Four. three years. So it's like Almost two and a half. Years. Yeah, two, I would say like two and a half, a little over two and a half years. I'm curious what your stance on this is like, how much would you advise on like investing in a relationship like that, especially since that has developed what since around the time you graduated college into now? Mm-hmm. So, like, how much would you say like you should invest in a relationship that you see, you know, a potential future with compare and then balancing it with a career? I think that's something a lot of women struggle with at this age, for sure. Totally. And I don't think that you have to choose because I think the right person will make you choose. You know, like Mm -hmm. if it's worth investing in, he will make it, he or she will make it easy for you to be able to, you know, fulfill your career and do do what you need to do. Because that's Mm -hmm. kind of like, Keon and I sometimes will go, you know, the whole day without like talking much because we're both busy, but like then at night we'll FaceTime and we'll have that conversation or there'll there'll be days when it's like, we're FaceTiming every like break that we have. Like he has like a five minute break in between calls. So he'll call me to see if I'm free and if I'm not, no big deal. But if I am, you know, so I think you have to have someone that is going to be okay with that or else they're not worth investing in. So I would say that you never have to choose. Like if you have to choose, then the answer is that they're not the right person. I think like, that's kind of how I view it. And like my mentality uh-huh. around it, like if Keon was not okay with what I was doing, I would not be with him. Like, <laughs> I right, just would right. not be with him. Like it just wouldn't work out. <laughs> Does that apply as well with like going out? Like for example, so I have to give prep like context on this for me, when I had a boyfriend of four years back in the day, he was pretty iffy. And like, now I've learned that's not a good sign, but he was pretty iffy about like me just going out even like for us when we went to Miami and like we went out together after like he probably would have been like yeah have fun but then a little bit just um you know a little bit like icky about it and I now look for a guy that's super secure and mature enough to be like yeah go have fun with your girlfriends right so I'm curious what's your stance on that in terms of like how other women should look for that in a partner because I think obviously it sounds like you definitely you guys have that trust you're able to go out and you know have fun with your girls so so yeah totally so I 
for me, I think I need someone that's confident. I have dated someone that was not confident in the past. And it's something that I've realized is one of the biggest like (laughs) factors for me. I'm like, I need someone who is confident. You know, I cannot have, I cannot date someone that's insecure. Like it's just not going to work out. So that's like a huge, huge, huge red flag for me when someone is insecure we all have insecurities. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you have to be cocky. I don't like cocky. I actually like hate cocky, yeah. but there's a difference between like cocky and confidence. So yeah. just not being insecure is so important to me and like being a confident person. And with that, I think it means like, again, going back to trust, like if I'm going out with my girlfriends, like you should know that I'm not going to like cheat on you. or I'm not going to like flirt with another guy and like go home with them. Or like, I'm not gonna, you know, go on a date with someone and start like Snapchatting them or whatever, you know, like <laughs> that's just yeah. not going to happen. And I know that like he wouldn't do that because if I thought that he would do that, then I wouldn't date him. You know, it's like if that's the type of person he is that I have to like keep a leash on him or keep an eye on him, Mm -hmm. then I don't even want to date you. So for me, it's just like knowing that, but like I've been cheated on before. So I've had that like Mm. that trust broken. And so I've Mm. had to deal with like trust issues. So I'm definitely more like not like weary than he is, but now we're totally good because it's like, I think the right person. So it's like, okay, yeah, I trust you. You trust me. He goes out in Boston with his friends, you know, and like, I don't mm-hmm. care at all. I'm n- I've never once been like, oh my God, what is he doing? And like, he's never done that with me. But mm-hmm. whenever I was with my boyfriend who did cheat on me, oh my God, every time I would look through his phone, I would, I would be like, oh my God, what is, if he's not answering me, he must be doing something. I would try to like go on his like friends, Snapchats and be like, who are they? Like, did they post a story to see if like he's in the background? Like, it's just like, it made me crazy. So I feel like if it's like making you crazy, then that's a bad sign. Like they should trust you. But then also like there needs to be boundaries too with your relationships with, I would say like the opposite sex or whoever you're attracted to. It's like, I'm not Mm -hmm. gonna- text another guy you know and be like oh Mm -hmm. hey what are you doing like I would literally never do that like I would never even if we're like just friends like I just wouldn't do that you know unless it's like a childhood friend or a friend that I've been you know it depends on the relationship but like a guy I meet out I'll Mm -hmm. talk to you out like I'm not not gonna talk to you I'm not gonna be like oh I have a boyfriend don't speak to me but I'm also not going to be like oh hi let me have your number let me Instagram you let me follow you on Instagram let me I'm just not going to do that either you know because I don't think that's right like I wouldn't like it if he was doing that to other girls so it's also Mm -hmm. like you have to do what you you have to set some boundaries but you also have to have that trust that like you have self-control and you can go out and have fun with your girls and like not I don't know get someone's number or whatever so (laughs) I think that's like the biggest thing for sure. Okay. What's what's one overall main tip you would give to women? Maybe it's something you've heard of from other people or just something you've learned about, you know, over the years in your own relationships relating to being in a relationship while being a career goal-driven woman. Um, I would say just be like you have to be with someone who is like confident and supportive and I think that's like the biggest thing. So like if the guy that you are with is insecure because you are, you know, more successful than he is, or you're making more money than he is, or you're, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, if they're just insecure about what you're doing, really evaluate like 10 years down the line. Like I know not everyone wants to get married or not everyone thinks like, oh, I'm going to be with this person forever. But in my head, I'm like, you're either going to like be together forever or you're going to break up one day. So like, 10 years down the line, do you see that? Like, do you want that to be someone that is like in your life when things get even harder? Like, do you want that to be someone who's going to like raise your kids if you want to have kids? You know, it's like, yeah, I just always like thinking about it that way, because for me, it's like, 
if I'm driven on my career, that's not stopping anytime soon. Like I'm always going to be like that. So like if we're having issues now, oh my God, it's going to be so much worse, like later on down the road. Or like, Mm -hmm. if you can't be happy for me, that's also a red flag. Cause like the person you should be with should be, you should be able to be happy together and like celebrate together, not be like, oh my God, I don't want to tell you because like, I'm scared that I'm going to be like making you insecure. Like that to me, just like you stay away from people like that. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more, especially because I dealt with exactly that situation in my last serious relationship, just that he had a hard time, you know, understanding, you know, like how I do certain things and how I make a certain amount of money. And like, you know, like even for me, when I bought my first car, like on my own, he was like, how'd you buy that car? And I'm like, you knew I was saving for the past two and a half years. Like, you know what I mean? And so, um, at the time I didn't know like those things you had mentioned, but now I do. And that's for sure. I think very good tips, especially if you are a, you know, a woman that wants to be her own, you know, independent, all that you have to be able to be with someone that can support you and be proud of you as well. And like, don't settle, you know, like don't settle because just because you want to be with someone because they're going to make your life more miserable and then you're going to have more stress and more issues, you know? So like, you're going to have like issues even down the line. Like if they cheat on you, if they're, if they're like not trusting, then you're going to have trust issues down the line. If they're, you know, not supportive of you, then it's going to even put stress on your career, you know? So it's like, it's not worth it Mm -hmm. to settle. Like I'd rather be alone than be with someone that like makes me feel bad about myself. I could not agree more. Okay, well, one last question, and it's a question I ask every guest on the show, but out of everything we really talked about from personal life, entrepreneurship, your career, everything, what would you say really fulfills you in life? Um, I would say community is a huge thing for me. Like I would really say that like everything I do, I tried to have community behind it. Like the reason why I started YouTube was because of the community aspect. I like Mm -hmm. love talking to people on the internet. The reason I started my agency was because I wanted to like talk to people and like help them with their social media strategy and like build a community around it. I had like, I love the community I've built on social media, like with my own like subscribers and stuff like that. And like with Rella community is such a big focus on it, how we want to build more than just like transactions with between brands and influencers. We want actual like relationships to be made. So for Mm -hmm. me, I'm like, there's I I just love the community aspect. I think it's so much better than wanting to do things alone. I think it actually helps people. I'm so much I'm like that person that's like collaboration over competition or whatever that saying Mm -hmm. is like, I would rather collaborate with you than compete with you. And so like everything that I do, it's like so community oriented. And I think that that's really is what fulfills me because like when I was working my corporate job, the lack of community there was so evident. Like I was just a number, you know, I was like one of 400,000 people. So like for me, community is like definitely, definitely what fulfills me, I would say. Well, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate this conversation so much. This was so fun as always. Um, can you share where everyone can find you, your socials, your YouTube, everything, and Rella, of course. Yeah, so you can follow me at Natalie Barbu on everything. So YouTube, TikTok, um, Instagram at Natalie Barbu. And then Rella is Rella Social. So we have an Instagram and we also have a website where you can start signing up actually. And we'll start like connecting you with brands, which is really exciting. Um, and then my podcast is the real, real podcast, but pretty much everything you can find like from my Instagram, like that's like <laughs> the central <laughs> point and then you can find everything else. <laughs> Amazing. Well, as always, I will link that in the show notes so they can find you. Thank you again for being on. This was so fun. Of course. Thank you. 
And be sure to check out the merchandise on the official website at whatfulfillsyou.com. That includes the black leather What Fulfills You journal, as well as the white crew neck. Both I literally utilize every single day, especially my What Fulfills You journal, which I'm staring at right now on my desk as we speak. And yeah, you can enjoy a little 15% off your purchase with the code THANKYOU15. And I just want to say thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast, whether you have purchased a piece of merchandise or you're just continuing to listen every week, engaging with the Instagram and just giving me the love and support. It really means so much to me. And I know I say it every time, but truly, I notice every single one of you that shares my content and shares it with your audience. So again, thank you so much. And if you enjoyed this episode, of course, be sure to share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself and Natalie Barbu and leave a comment with a takeaway you had on the latest Instagram post at What Fulfills You. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I will chat with you all next time. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.